Hosea 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. And then if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 2 this evening, beginning in verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Amen. Please be seated. If you remember back in Genesis, Abraham is promised a son that through his son, both through him and through uh, Abraham himself, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And in anticipation of this promise being fulfilled, you remember that God changes Abram's name to Abraham, goes from being great father to great father of nations or people. But again, as you already know, that promise was not fulfilled immediately. In fact, Abraham and Sarah wait so long that they begin to despair. They begin to lose hope. And as a result, they take matters into their own hands. Sarah gives her servant Hagar to her husband so that she could bear a child on Sarah's behalf. And you remember Ishmael was born. And we know the devastating results Ishmael was Abraham's son, but he was not the true son. He was not the promised son. But Lord, being faithful to his promise, even despite Abraham and Sarah's sinfulness and lack of faith, gives to them a true son, a son from the two of them. But they had to wait, as I said. Most believe that Abraham was approximately 100 years old and Sarah was 80. But Sarah became pregnant and gave birth to Isaac. Isaac meaning he laughs because Sarah laughed when told of the prophecy that she was going to be with child in her old age. But it's the Lord who has the last laugh because he is always true to his promises And so we have here Ishmael and Isaac, two sons, one that is born before, but is the lesser, one that is born later, but is the greater. We have this repeated again later with the birth of two twins, Esau and Jacob, and we're clearly told that the older will serve the younger. Well, here we have, I think, a pattern that we see in redemptive history between Israel and Christ. Israel was a son. And in fact, our passage this night, Israel is called just that. It's called a child, a son. Israel was the object of God's love as a father would be to his own child. But Israel, as you know, was 
not the true son, meaning that Israel was incapable of fulfilling the law, fulfilling the promises, fulfilling the covenants. In many ways, even though Israel was a son, he was a rebellious son, as we have been seeing throughout the book of Hosea. But Israel was nevertheless a type pointing forward to the true son, the son that would come indeed from their loins, from their lines, from their lineage. And what we see in Hosea and then in Matthew is that they have similar histories, that of Israel and that of Christ. And we have a pattern, one that foreshadows the other. And what we see is that Christ is not just similar to Israel, but Christ is ultimately the fulfillment of Israel. What we see only in parts with Israel is completed with Christ. That Christ is the redemption. Christ is the salvation for his people Israel, as well as all peoples of the earth. And so just as Ishmael was a precursor to Isaac, in a sense, so Israel was a precursor to the true son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we go from the lesser to the greater. And so we'll see this in three points tonight, and I take these three divisions from Professor David Murray. First is into Egypt, second in Egypt, and third out of Egypt. But before we go into those points, perhaps you know this well, but Hosea 11 verse 1 has some controversy surrounding it. Not so much with Hosea, but more so with Matthew and how Matthew uses it in Matthew 2 verse 15 as we just read. This passage though I think is appropriate, especially as we come out of the Christmas season. Since this is a part of the birth narrative of the early life of Christ that does not get much attention. That after the birth, after the visit of the shepherd and the magi, Joseph and Mary must flee. They must flee from Herod. And they must go to Egypt and remain there until the death of Herod. And you can remember why, because Herod was an extremely jealous man. Even from history, we would perhaps call him a paranoid man, putting to death family members because he doubted their loyalty, their faithfulness to him. And so when he receives this news that a newborn king is born in his region, no doubt this struck fear in his heart. And so the angel of the Lord warns Joseph to take the child and to leave. For Herod was about to search and seek to destroy. Indeed, this is exactly what Herod did. Furious that he was tricked by the magi, by the wise men, he begins to kill all male children two years and less. And so Matthew, in relating this story, relating this history, said this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. We know it to be the prophet Hosea because we read it here in Hosea 11 verse 1. Out of Egypt I, call, I will call my son. And Matthew, as we've seen, frequently cites the Old Testament and refers to how different prophecies are fulfilled in chapter 1. 
He shows how Isaiah 7.14, Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And then in chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2, we see him quoting Micah 5.2, And you, O Bethlehem, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. There's not much controversy with those verses because those verses clearly have a future prophecy in view. Yet when we read Hosea 11 verse 1, at least on the surface, it doesn't seem to be a future prophecy, a future prediction, but a past one, a past incident, a past historical event. Hosea says, out of Egypt, I called my son, not will call him, but past tense, past reference, no doubt to the exodus, to the days of Moses. As Moses calls the people, and the Lord calls the people through Moses out of Egypt. And so many critics look at this verse and say that Matthew's playing fast and loose with the text. He's trying to grab anything that even sounds or resembles like Christ so as to bolster the argument for Christ, to make Christ this special person, this promised one, even this prophesied one, bolstering or perhaps patting the case, as they would say. And if we were to use only a grammatical, historical interpretation, we would probably not interpret Hosea 11, verse 1, like Matthew does. But if we were to employ a redemptive, historical interpretation, not only could we, but we must. That Christ is indeed the greater Son in the fulfillment of Israel's history. And I think we will see this as we go through this passage. First, as we see into Egypt, before one can be called out, they must go into. For example, the beginning of this week, we were packing up our Christmas decorations. Perhaps you were doing the same, and my two youngest were having a lot of fun, not helping, of course, but playing with and in the big boxes that we had to put all the decorations in. And at some point, we had to use those boxes for the original purpose, and that is to clean up all of our decorations. And so at some point, I said, all right, you two, get out of the box, get out of the Christmas tree box that they were playing in. I had to call them out because obviously they were in it. Oh, this is true with Israel as well. What were the circumstances in the Old Testament that brought them into Egypt? Well, you have to go all the way back to Genesis to Jacob, the son of Isaac. Remember, he sends his sons to Egypt. And why does he send his sons to Egypt? Because there was a famine in the land. There was a famine in Israel. And God had planned for this. God had prepared for this by sending Joseph beforehand, years before. And there they receive the proper food and come to the realization that their brother Joseph and Jacob's son Joseph was there. And not only was he there, but he was second in the land. That He was the one that had provided the food. He was the one that had predicted the dream of Pharaoh and had stayed off the severe famine. And 
um, stockpiling the food there. And so Joseph calls Jacob to come to Egypt. And Jacob, again, being, or excuse me, Joseph being the second in the land, gives them the land of Goshen. And so Jacob and all the family members come into Egypt. Now, those are the facts, of course. But there's a deeper reality, isn't there? There's a deeper theological basis, a very basic question that we must ask. Why ultimately were they in Egypt? Well, yes, there was a famine, but why was there a famine? There was a famine because the earth was cursed, and the earth is cursed. And why is the earth cursed? Well, because of Adam's sin. And we can read of this all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. And so in a sense, you could say that Israel goes to Egypt because of the fallenness, the curse upon the earth. The same is true when we come to the New Testament with Christ, the Christ child. Before Christ is called out of Egypt, he had to go into Egypt. And why is he in Egypt? Well, we just mentioned why, because he is fleeing the murderous and tyrannical rule of Herod. Because Herod is not the shepherd of Israel as he ought to be, as we heard this morning. He is rather a butcher, killing his own people that threaten his rule. And again, we see the effects of sin upon the earth and upon the fall and mankind and how they behave with one another, not in loving kindness, not in protection, not in provision, but in murderous threats and indeed in killing the youngest of the land for his own sake. And so Israel, though they were God's people, they were not immune to the fall. Likewise, Christ did not enter into a perfect peaceful world entered into a sinful world where the prince of this world the satan himself sought to destroy and to even kill satan tried to at every turn snuff out the life of christ the promised one the messiah and john in his revelation in revelation 12 talks about this. It says the dragon, which seems to be Satan himself, stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. And she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And it goes on to say that the woman had to flee into exile because of this dragon seeking to destroy child, which is clearly a portrayal of what took place with the birth of Christ. And so Jacob or Israel going into Egypt and Christ going to into Egypt is far more than just Egypt itself. It's a picture of the fall. It's a picture of the battle. It's a picture of the curse that is ongoing. The struggle between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman between Satan and Christ itself, between what is good and right, that which is holy versus that which is sinful. And that is the world, isn't it? All of creation, us included, that we must be saved from, we must be saved 
out of because we have fallen and we have found ourselves in a fallen and sinful condition. Well, second, then in Egypt, again, we see, I think, that consequences of sin. We know it was not long before Egypt became a hostile place for the people of God, for the people of Israel. They were subject to slavery. Pharaoh increased their burdens, and the people cried out and languished under that load. Likewise, with Mary and Joseph, we're sure, unsure how long, but most scholars believe that the family was in Egypt from a few months to a few years. Again, we see some of the humiliation, the humility that Christ was subject to. Christ, the Son of God, the King of Israel, the Messiah of God's people, was not even able to live in his own country, his own land, but was an exile in a foreign place. And there we see a picture in itself, do we not? An Israelite living in Egypt, but even greater than that, God coming down from heaven to earth, God living with man, God in flesh, God incarnate. The greatest humiliation that Christ endured was Christ becoming a part of his creation so as to redeem it, so as to save it. But he was willing to do so for this was his purpose. This was his calling. His purpose was to redeem his people. And what was he to redeem them from? Well, to redeem them, as we mentioned, out of the curse, out of the sin, out of the fallenness of this place out of Egypt, as we have seen. And so third, we see this aspect of calling out of Egypt. As Hosea says, I have called my son out of Egypt. Again, as we understand the Old Testament history, we hardly have to explain how Israel came out of Egypt because that is so well known through the Ten plagues and the plundering of Egypt and the miraculous parting of the Red Sea. All is known so well. All led by Moses, the man of God, the one that was the first prophet, priest, and king. A foreshadowing, again, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Exodus, as you know it, both in the Old and as well as in the New, is the symbol of salvation and redemption in the Old Testament. That the people of God are saved from the bondage of slavery. And Moses takes them out and leads them to the promised land. But again, ironically, Moses could not lead them into the promised land. Why? Because of his own sin, his own rebellion. And even Moses, as great as he was, a man of God as he is called, falls short of being the true son, falls short of being the Christ, the Messiah. But again, points to the one that was to come. And that one that was to come is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is where I think Matthew is going with the reference of this verse from Hosea. Remember, Matthew was writing primarily to a Hebrew audience. And so he was quick to point out that in Christ... 
we have the fulfillment of Israel's history. That where Israel failed or fell short, Christ does not. Yes, God called Israel, his son, out of Egypt into the promised land. But that promised land wasn't the ultimate promised land. Because of the sin, because of the fallenness of this world, because of the sin of the land and the sin of the people, the curse was still in effect. But as Christ comes out of Egypt, even as that small child with his parents, we see the true Moses leading his people, the true deliverer, the true redeemer, able to set his people free, not from Pharaoh or any earthly tyrannical rule, but from sin and death and hell forever. That through Christ, he ushers people into the promised land and totally defeats all the curses of this earth, that redemption is complete. And there we see the perfect picture of salvation, the perfect picture of redemption. That we see a glorious, even greater and more glorious than the Exodus and what miracle God did back then through the ten plagues and through the parting of the Red Sea. We see God's miraculous performing of bringing together that which was parted, heaven and earth, through the cross, through Christ's blood. They are made one. They are made perfect and complete. And God and man now are at peace. And so Jesus Christ is the true Son because He is the true Messiah, the true Savior of all of God's elect. Well, the application of this text then is quite evident to us. We still battle the effects of the fall. We still battle the effects of the curse every day. We still live in a world where there is famines and storms and wars and rumors of war. We ourselves deal with sickness and disease. On top of that, we languish in our own sins that we battle daily, and it's tiring and sometimes defeating. And in some ways, we can say that we are still living in Egypt. We are still sojourners. We are still exiles, wondering how long. In that way, no doubt, we can understand the the pain that Jacob felt as he would went and left the land that was promised and had to go into Egypt, wondering, God, what is it that you are doing through this? Or as the people felt while they were in Egypt in the time of slavery, or perhaps even as Mary and Joseph while dwelling in Egypt itself. Perhaps those were discouraging times. Perhaps you're going through such discouraging times in your own personal life or through things that you're struggling with, things that you are dealing with. And you too might ask those same questions that the people of old asked. Does God know? Does he hear? Does he listen? Must we wait any longer? But what I think we should see from God's story of redemption, both in the Old Testament and fulfilled completely and perfectly in the New Testament in the Lord Jesus Christ is that God fully knows. He's fully aware. 
And he never leaves or abandons his people ever. God fully keeps his promises and will fulfill every one of them. And we need not doubt that. Things may not happen as we would like them to or in our timing, but they happen in his, and his timing is always perfect. And we should know out of all people, as we look to Christ, that we see the fulfillment of God's promises, that in Christ we see a greater Moses, we see a greater Israel, one that has defeated death and hell and sin forever, and that he is coming again to usher in the completion of that redemption, the new heavens and the new earth, where we will dwell forever with him in that true promised land. It's in that that we have that full hope and sure confidence, if that be near or if that be far, whenever it will take place. We know that that reality will be great. And that reality is indeed greater than even our present reality, our present circumstances as we may see them even in this very moment. And so Hosea is right. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. And Matthew is right. Out of Egypt, I will call my son. And it is through that son that he has called us. Because we were a rebellious son, like perhaps the prodigal son, or perhaps like the self-righteous, pharisaical, older son. Christ is indeed calling sinful, rebellious, self-righteous sinners home. That Christ, as the son, calls us home and makes us sons of God, adopts us in the family of God. He has called us out of Egypt through Christ. He has called us out of our sin and of our misery into eternal life. And one day he will bring us into that greater and true promise Land. And so this night, as we close, the question I must ask is, do you believe this? And has this exodus taken place as you have been taken out of this world into Christ and through Christ into a greater land? Has that redemption taken place in your heart and in your life? I hope so. For we read of these very familiar words, and we'll finish with this. For God so loved the world that he sent his son, his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Indeed, it is through the true son, God sending his son, that we become sons as well. Amen.